gentlemen, introducing the Ball and Mitt Podcast, a willy-nilly talk show about baseball, life, and the occasional knee slapper. So grab your Cracker Jacks, sit back, and relax. It's gonna be a doozy. Here's your host, the Beast himself, Brian Hey, baseball fans, what is going on? Welcome to the Ball Mid Podcast. I have got another interview. That's two in a row. I am now one of the cool kids. Uh, with me today is Bridget McCauley. Uh, I found her actually on Twitter. We've just been chatting a little bit about just baseball, and she's actually the writer of a blog, cheatlittleswing.wordpress.com. Uh, she writes some amazing stuff. She's she's doing a lot of amazing things, uh, especially in the baseball world. So I wanted to get her on uh, and just to talk about it. So let's just get started and cut right to the chase. So tell me your current involvement with baseball. Like, what do you do? Uh, is it your only job or do you want this to be your only job? Uh, let the listeners know what it is that you're passionate about and you do on a day-to-day basis. Okay, yeah. So first off, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, and currently right now it's the off season. Um, I'm going to be focusing on writing baseball stories about history and special interest stories, as well as the upcoming 2019 season. Um, I wish it could be my only job, but baseball is known for not paying very well, uh, for certain jobs. So, um, I always kind of take different jobs in the off season and then just prepare for the upcoming year. This past 2018 season, I covered the Sacramento River Cats, the AAA affiliate of the San Francisco Giants. I did some freelance work in Sacramento at Raley Field, which is their home ballpark. I covered the team doing pregame shows. I did social media coverage, postgame stuff, um, video content, player interviews, worked with coaches and other personnel in the press box media relations. So it was a really great experience where I was able to learn a lot in a short amount of time, as well as see some great uh, AAA action there in the Pacific Coast League. So for the past two summers, you've done work with the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, as well as the Newport Gulls organization. Now, most of my listeners, myself included, uh, have been to both minor and major league games, even some independent games. And there really is a difference. I just moved over here in Denver from North Carolina where we went to Durham Bulls games all the time. Wooly Bull, most popular mascot. I love minor league games. And so just share with with us the differences uh, with the operation side. How are the same? How are they different? As well as your responsibilities that you had. Like, were they different? What was expected of you? Just just let, let us know everything. Yeah, so... With the Diamondbacks, I was working there in Scottsdale, Arizona during spring training. And that's obviously a big major league production. The Rockies share the field with them as well for spring training. So it was two major league organizations, actually. And they're very different. You're right. You, re- I really learned a lot during my time in collegiate summer ball. Um, so for those who are listening who maybe don't know, um, but I'm sure they've heard of the Cape, um, which is a very famous collegiate summer ball league. They use wood, wooden bats and the NECBL, um, which is the New England Coast Baseball League, I would say is second to the Cape Cod League. It's very prestigious where the top college prospects will go to play during the summertime. And there I really had a lot of duties. Um, 
they had me do a multitude of different things, the GM there. So I really got a full experience during that summer. I did everything from compiling rosters, creating game day programs, taking pictures of players for the website, promotions on the field. I was even the host and MC during the games. I put together scouting reports. Um, and then that's more of maybe the glamorous side of it. And then the non-glamorous side would be, you know, it rains a lot in New England. So pulling the tarp on the field when it rained, wiping down the seats before the game, um, you know, and then of course going to the broadcast booth as well. So it was kind of, I saw both sides of it and you really see what it takes to run a baseball league and stadium. Um, and I, yeah, I, I feel like I was able to get a very well-rounded like perspective of baseball from my time there. They definitely got their money's worth with you. Uh, just you're doing everything, a jack of all trades. Uh, it seems like you, you probably loved every bit of it. I had a friend ask me, what is one thing I'd love to do if money wasn't an issue? And I told him to take care of ballparks, just anything. Now, of course, I say that sitting here in this chair, not actually doing it. Maybe I'll change my mind, but that was my answer. I, I love to take care of baseball fields and the operations type of stuff. So you've done some work, Arizona, Colorado with those two teams because they they practice in the same facility. What has been the different operations or responsibilities you've had? Which ones have been your favorite? And then give me some others that you didn't think would be your favorite, but you actually really enjoy. Yeah, that's a really good question. I since I have been a part of and been, uh, you know, had jobs in many different aspects of the game, both on the minor and major league side, I really got to love a little bit of each of them. But I would say doing the media relations and media side of things is something I've always had just a natural instinct and natural ability for. And I really have enjoyed doing that. Um, but it was always more behind the scenes and, you know, doing writing and on my computer and behind the camera taking photos. Something I didn't really expect to love as much as I did was when I got in front of the camera to do a lot of media work and doing pregame shows, filming, you know, just video content during the games, um, interviews with players and things of that nature. I didn't really expect to love it as much as I did. It took me a, a minute. It definitely put me out of my comfort zone, but um, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, by the end, I felt like I was very comfortable in front of the camera and I was interviewing fans and different players the last game of the season in AAA. And um, yeah, so I really enjoyed that experience. And just going back to my time with like Arizona and Colorado as well, um, how it was so different because everything's ramped up a notch on the professional level. You know, you have to make sure everything is done right in a certain way. Everything's very planned out. We had game scripts for every spring training game. And although it was just spring training, it felt like a regular season game. Honestly, um, there's a different level of professionalism I found, obviously, when it comes to the major league games. And I had to work with a lot of media, front office executives, players and coaches as well. So I felt, you know, I had to be very professional at all times. And there's just a different expectation there when you're working on the major league side. Well, that was going to be my follow-up question. It seems like working for the MLB, there would be a lot more pressure just with everything involved, whether it's you know, money, advertisers, uh, the music, that type of thing. Like it just seems like it's a bigger production. 
So did you feel the difference uh, between majors and minors or did the minor leagues prepare you for what you did uh, in the show? Yes, I think a little bit of both. I think from my time working uh, back east in collegiate ball and in the minors, there's a lot of promotions. Um, That's what the minors is all about. Uh, There's a lot during the game going on um, in terms of that. And so I think it did prepare me well for it. But you're right, there is a lot of money in it in terms of the sponsors and even in spring training. Um, it's a huge, you know, moneymaker and like the amount of tickets that they sell for spring training alone and everything that goes into that. So there was a lot of pressure there. And so I felt like I always had to bring my A game each day to the field and, um, you know, really represent both the Diamondbacks and Rockies organization well. I've mentioned on this podcast in the past that I am going to be attending broadcasting school. And one of the schools I looked at was going to for, maybe not force me, but give me a little bit of experience in front of the camera. And I wasn't a big fan of that because it's not only focusing on what I say, but what is my body saying? You know, like where are my hands where they should be? Am I swaying back and forth? Uh, what, what, what kind of impression am I giving off? Do I look bored? That kind of thing. So did you feel that that was an added complication of being in front of the camera rather than just behind the scenes or just talking? It, it just seems like for me, I'd want to focus on, you know, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? But now it's like, well, now what do I do? Because there's this whole other, you know, a component to this. So just, you know, tell me what was going through your head at that moment? Definitely. I think it takes time and just really evaluating yourself and looking at yourself with a critical eye, but not too critical. I tried not to be hard on myself. Um, I had a lot of people around me. <laughs> supporting me and telling me I was doing a good job, but also giving me constructive criticism and feedback, which was super helpful. I, um, yeah, I, I always would look at the videos that I did and pick out little things I didn't like or that I was doing, but then I would try and improve on those next time. So for me, sometimes it would be hand placement or things I didn't even realize that I was doing, you know, because I, I didn't study really that kind of journalism in college. I was more focused on writing Um, I was a professional writing minor, but I didn't do a lot of on-camera work, as I said before. So I, you know, didn't realize that in on-camera, I would be swaying back and forth maybe a little bit, or my head would turn. And I was doing these things, you know, subconsciously. So I would kind of look at that after uh, the games and then improve on it for next time. And I feel like by the end, um, I could really see myself um, with a big improvement. And I hope to, you know, keep on improving and expanding on that next season as well. So you've already done so much in your early baseball reporting career, but what what's one interesting story or the interesting story uh, that allowed you to discover your love for the game? Was it a certain moment or was it just your upbringing? Uh, let everybody know where, where this love for the game came from and, and, and made you want to do what you do right now. Yeah, so it, it it's actually a pretty interesting story because it's not necessarily your typical baseball, how I got involved or how I fell in love with the game type of story. I never played softball myself, um, and I didn't have any brothers either who played baseball. I was a volleyball player growing up, so was my older sister. So sports was something that we all loved in our household from volleyball, and then also we were just big sports fans here. Um, in Northern California, supporting all the local teams. But my knowledge of the game and my love for the game, I would say, came mainly from my grandfather, 
He's from New York. Uh, he's a huge Yankees fan. Um, and he's currently 87 years old. <laughs> so he remembers all the greats, you know, from the golden era of the Yankees, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford. And he would always watch baseball at our house and talk about the game around me. So I felt like I learned a lot about the rules and the history from him. And then I began to collect baseball books and memorabilia as I got older. I'm a big reader and my mom is as well. And so that was kind of our thing together. We would collect baseball biographies and old vintage memorabilia as I got older. And then I just, you know, kept on learning more and more about the rules of the game from my grandfather. He was a left handed pitcher himself growing up in New York. And he still plays, actually. He plays senior softball. And he's the catcher at 87 years old, which is pretty remarkable. And yeah, a lot of those guys, even they played in the minors when they were younger. So it's just really cool to be around that still and still see the love he has for the game at his age and all those guys and all the stories that they tell is just really interesting to me. So I can I can say I I attribute a lot of um, my knowledge of the game and my love for it to him. I think that's a really cool story. And when you told me about that on Twitter, I was like, man, my listeners need to hear that because it's interesting how you fell in love with the game. Usually it's if you grow up with brothers, you know, they play sports and that kind of thing and you want to join in because, well, you're hanging out with them, but you had an older sister. So I thought that was interesting that you didn't matter that you didn't have brothers or that you weren't a male. Like you just loved baseball. And it's funny, I'm actually going to be having uh, the two ladies from No Crying in Baseball podcast and what's neat is they're either interviewing or getting ready to interview uh, a woman who has created a documentary on women in baseball, right? not just reporting, but going back to the original league of our own and and interviewing some of those women that are still alive today. Uh, so that I thought that was kind of interesting and exciting because as I discovered you, I was like, wow, this is neat. Another you know woman reporting on baseball and and it's just it's expanding. And I think this is this is awesome. Now before we get into our next topic. Uh, one of which I'm very jealous of you uh, concerning. Tell us about cheaplittleswing.wordpress.com. It is your blog. You said you have a minor in journalism. So I want to know, you know how this came about. What, what do you write about? Just, just talk about your site. Yes. So Cheap Little Swing is my blog. And it kind of came about this past season. Um, the name, a lot of people ask me about the name Cheap Little Swing, where I got it from and why is it called that. It's baseball jargon that I've heard broadcasters use, um, especially the Giants broadcaster, Dwayne Kuyper, here in the Bay Area. And I've heard them use it to refer to players who make weak contact, saying that was a cheap swing or a cheap little swing on the broadcast, kind of like a bloop to get a hit. You know, something maybe that's not a strong hit, but it still gets you on base. It still gets the job done. So I just think that was um, just a cute name and it kind of stuck um, when I heard it. And then the image that I use is a rendition of Betty Page, who's the iconic 1950s sort of bad girl. And I just really like vintage photos and art. And so I thought those really went well together. So that's kind of how I came about that. And then when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to write about, um, since I had a writing background from college, I felt I really wanted to write about topics that I don't often see written about in baseball. 
you know, um, I follow a lot of different websites and different writers um, in sports, but I really wanted to do something unique and different. You know, I like talking about more fun topics. Um, I like writing about backstories, cultural aspects of the game, um, and just different perspectives and different people who work in baseball as well. Um, for instance, I knew an umpire who worked in the Sally League, and he gave me a lot of candid answers. I was able to interview him, and I've never really read another blog that had interviewed a professional umpire. So that was something I really wanted to do, and I just want to provide my readers with something that you won't really read elsewhere. Well, and that's one thing that I really noticed when I looked at your site is you didn't talk about you know your everyday type of stuff. You know, let's be honest, we can't compete with ESPN or MLB Network. We just don't have the the funding or the equipment or the name. So we kind of have to approach this a lot differently. And so I, I really appreciate, you know, how you're approaching this, talking about things that no one would know anything about unless you or myself brought it up. Uh, so what's been the most interesting topic uh, that you've covered? I really like doing some of the interviews that I've done. Um, as well as covering topics about history, I would say, um, would be my other favorite thing to write about. During Hall of Fame week, you know, there's always controversy going on. The usual baseball writers will talk about who was snubbed, who's mad about it, things like that. Um, but I decided to focus on a historical aspect of it and a historical figure named Smokey Joe Wood. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, he was from the dead ball era with the Boston Red Sox. Um, and I have a great biography about him, actually. Um, if you're looking for a new baseball read, anyone out there, that's a great one. Um, but an interesting thing about him is that he's not actually in the Hall of Fame because he didn't pitch long enough, but he was one of the hardest throwers of his era. Um, Walter Johnson actually said about him, no one throws harder than Smokey Joe Wood. He said that to a reporter once, and no one really writes about how great he was and how he really deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but he's not. So, um, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm going to write about it. So that's one article that I'm really proud of and that um, I wrote during Hall of Fame week that kind of it tied in, you know, the current topics and what everyone was writing about at the time. But it didn't focus on any of the current Hall of Fame people on the current Hall of Fame ballot or anything like that. It was more of a historical perspective. But, you know, I write about controversies. As well, you know, earlier this season, Ben Zobrist was kind of in hot water with the MLB when he was wearing black cleats that weren't the approved color for the Cubs. And so MLB decided to fine him each time he wore those cleats. Um, and so seeing that, I decided to write about the history of baseball uniforms and how it's changed over the years and how the rules are set now to where you can only wear certain things and just how the kind of uniform look um, is, you know, now in general and stuff. So, you know, I write about just different things, baseball codes, rules, stuff like that. And, um, I hope this upcoming season will provide me some great things to write about as well. What's funny is people don't think there's a lot of drama with men, but uh, I disagree, especially in sports. Um, uh, so, you know, when you mentioned about the cleat issue, uh, yeah, they talked about it, but, um, it's just interesting to get another person's perspective. That's not, you know, big media, uh, I read your article on cheating. I actually did a, I talked a little bit in my podcast about an article that I had written about cheating. You know, what kind of cheating is okay? If it's okay, then 
should it be called cheating at all? Uh, so I definitely, this is what definitely brought me to your site with these types of stories. So what I want you to do is if you can send me that link, I want to put it to the site so people can read uh, these interesting stories. Cause if you don't bring them to the service, no one will know about it. So um, that'd be great for people to be able to, to take a, a read of that. Um, what I want to do, take a read that makes absolutely no sense. Anyway, take a look at that and, and read it. There we go. That's better. So now we're at the topic at hand that that kind of ticks me off. Um, you're still covering baseball, but it's not LA. It's not Boston. So tell us where the heck you are and what you're covering. Yeah. So I've been in Scottsdale, Arizona for the Arizona Fall League, which happens annually. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's basically fall ball is what everyone calls it. And, um, you know, the biggest prospects and best in the game come out here to Arizona from all the teams, which I think is really interesting because I'm able to see prospects from not just the teams out West who would do spring training in Arizona, but, um, you know, the Yankees, the Mets, um, you know, all the teams from the East coast and teams that train in Florida in the spring. So that's been different for me to like, see all of their prospects as well. But, uh, yeah, it's been a really great experience. I have been covering, um, on social media, the fall league games. Um, and basically how it's set up is there are different teams in the fall league that consist of prospects from different organizations. So the Scottsdale Scorpions, which are one of the teams here in Scottsdale, they have prospects from the Giants. They have different prospects from many different teams, all on one team. So it's really cool. A lot of these guys probably know one another from playing together in the past, but it's just neat to see them all in one place. And it's definitely a different atmosphere than spring training or really anything you'll see, you know, in any other time during the year for baseball. So they call it the hidden gem um, out here in the desert because not a lot of people know about it. But um, that's what I'm hoping to do with my coverage is just get more people interested in it and kind of provide just a different perspective and write some articles and videos and um, yeah, just let people know what's going on down here in the fall. That's awesome. And my next question was going to be something you, you just, you know, kind of answered, but what is the feeling like at these games? You said it's different, but, but how is it different? Is it closer to the majors, closer to the minors, or maybe a little bit of a hybrid? Yes, it seems like it might be a type of hybrid. Like I said, it's called the hidden gem of baseball, and um, it's more of a quiet, serious atmosphere. I would say 500 to 800 people attend the games, 800 on a good night. Maybe one of the night games here in Scottsdale would be about 800 people, including media and the players probably. So um, there are a lot of scouts that come here as well. There's a, a focus on that. Um, a lot of scouts, you know, jockeying for a position, trying to get different angles and looks at players, you know, you getting to see the best prospects in the game here. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Forrest Whitley, guys like that. And, uh, they're actually having the fall stars game tonight on MLB network at 5 PM Pacific. And yeah, that's really cool that that's being broadcast and put on TV for everyone to see. And it's a big deal for these guys, you know, to be showcased and it's a great honor. Um, but it is a very, it's a very different atmosphere. It's not as hectic, which I really appreciate and enjoy because I really get to focus on the game and focus on these different players and their mechanics and 
um, you know, what kind of players they're going to be. And I get to really be serious about my writing and there's not a lot of loud music or constant promos going on as there are in the minors. So it's definitely different, but I've really enjoyed it. That kind of reminds me of the Chicago White Sox Baltimore Orioles game in Camden Yards about two or three years ago. And, you know, it was just, there was nobody at the game. No fans were allowed because of, you know, what was going on in the city at that time. And you mentioned there's not a ton of, you know, promotions and music and uh, different type of, not fans, but different type of people for there for different reasons. And so it just kind of reminded me of that game where it was complete silence, where they actually had to look up at the broadcasters and tell them to be quiet because, you know, I heard this, the, you could hear the broadcasters as uh, the players were going up to bat. Um, so I just thought that that was interesting that you had mentioned that because it just reminded me of that game. Uh, but tell me what has been your favorite moment so far? My favorite moment, probably just seeing like the biggest prospects and kind of the fanfare and just everything like surrounding them and getting to talk with and connecting with some really big scouts and baseball writers here. I know that every time uh, Vlad Guerrero comes up to the on deck circle, he has people going over there taking pictures and videos of him and cheering him on and stuff. So that's been cool to see um, along with Forrest Whitley, who's a big pitching prospect for the Astros and, you know, all the scouts holding up their radar guns for Melvin Adon, who's a Giants pitcher. Um, he consistently throws in the triple digits. And I've been able to work with some scouts as well. And they've been teaching me a lot while I've been here. And um, they, you know, are all just going crazy over how fast he throws. So that's been like just really neat to see. So other than those three that you just mentioned specifically, are there any other players that that you've seen that you can predict, wow, this person's going to be something special. And then what we can do is take a look back next year at this podcast and see if you were actually correct. Yeah, sure. So I think someone who could make an immediate impact as soon as next season is Mets prospect Peter Alonzo. He's a first baseman, and everyone thought he would be called up this past year, actually, with the Mets. Um, but I think it was an organizational thing and a timing thing for him. But they wanted him to um, get some more time um, on the defensive side. But um, I've seen great things for him from him here this fall league. Um, he was leading the fall league in home runs, I believe. And uh, I don't think he has anything left to prove, really. So I think that they should call him up um, early next season. And I actually got a chance to see him in Sacramento um, in the PCL. So um, this is kind of this is not my first look at him, but I've seen a lot of improvement from him and He's been great. Um, and then another prospect I would say is Carter Keyboom. Um, he's a younger prospect for the Nationals. Um, he's only 21 years old, actually, so he's quite young. But he has one of the better swings I've seen here in the Fall League. And I've really been impressed with him. And he's had some really big games here. So I would say those two um, to keep an eye on going forward. So I'm going to hold you to that. So when I'm doing fantasy baseball next year, that if I lose because I chose these players, it's it's on you. Um, so this next question I have is, so I, I send these questions ahead of time so that my interviewees are prepared. Don't want to surprise them with anything and uh, make them look foolish and make me look like a jerk. Um, so the next question is, I, I talked about being a baseball dork and how that's different than being a baseball nerd. And I was trying to be clever. And as I'm reading through it, I'm like, this isn't funny or clever. And it's just kind of a waste of time. 
So I'm going to cut right to the chase. I I love any type of baseball. Uh, Little League World Series, I loved. Uh, the, ba- the World Baseball Classic was awesome. I actually set my alarm for 3 a.m. to watch one of the tournaments, one of the play-in uh, tournaments in Australia. Uh, so I set my alarm and, and watched that, and that was awesome. So I say that uh, to say this, or to ask you this instead. Is there any other arena of baseball that you would like to cover or be a part of, whether it's like a documentary or, you know, covering something about like Cooperstown or the Hall of Fame uh, um, Museum, anything like that? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I had to think about it for a while. But, you know, as I've talked about this whole podcast, I try to cover many different things and as many different aspects as possible about baseball. I have actually been to Cooperstown and, um, you know, it's part of the reason why I love baseball is I just love the history of it. And I like baseball because I like tradition and I respect it a lot. And I think that's why the game has been popular for so long is because people can count on it, you know? And, um, I think that, um, I really love that aspect of it. So I would love to report more on, yeah, the history of it in terms of that would be like going to Cooperstown or doing more coverage and reporting of museums or that kind of thing. Um, as well as um, lower levels of baseball. I've spent some time in my local area going around to some amateur baseball leagues and just spending time there and kind of observing and taking it all in um, from guys who maybe made it to like single A or made it to the minors or, you know, got signed by a team, but then it didn't end up working out. Or, you know, maybe they just played in college or high school but they still just want to be around the game or they have that small chance of hope that it can still work out for them. So I just think all those stories are so interesting to me. So I would really like to maybe go into independent ball um, and cover that more. Um, So that's something, you know, I've thought about for a while as well. But um, yeah, I just think, like I said, that Tradition is something I really value and I respect. And um, I think that's one of the best things about Major League Baseball. And um, I really enjoy covering that part of the game. Well, that's why it's called America's Pastime. You know, it's, it's got all of that past history. I mean, other sports have history, but this one's just just different. You know, uh, sometimes it's hard to explain, but it's just different. And that's kind of a hot topic now is, you know, traditional base, baseball, more of the um, the purest or this future, or I'd say present now, Sabermetrics, Analytics, StatCast, you know, which one's better? Uh, they're coming to a head. You're seeing a lot of very violent conversations online. Um, but I do think it's one of those things that uh, we do have to wrestle with. And what was really neat with uh, the MLB, bef- I think before it started, was the commercial with King Griffey Jr. Uh, and talking about, you know, let the kids play. I thought that was an awesome commercial. Uh, I'm a little bit more of a purist, but I do think there's value in the other uh, types of stats and stuff. So I believe it can coexist. I believe those two things can coexist. So what did you think of the commercial? Yeah, I definitely, I thought it was a cool, a cool thing to do for the playoffs. And it got a lot of people talking about it. And, you know, I could kind of see what they were trying to do there and what Rob Manfred's trying to do. But at the same time, I think he's making too many changes too quickly. That's just my opinion. I know it's a pretty controversial topic and people have their own thoughts about it. But, you know, I see both sides. But I just think, especially with a lot of these rule changes that have happened 
um, especially for the minor leaguers. I've seen it firsthand in AAA and even in the AFL, they've implemented a lot of these changes that, you know, there's no union in the minors, so they aren't represented and they don't really have a say about it. Um, they're almost like guinea pigs for what the MLB wants to do, whether that's the pitch clock or putting runners on second base and in extra innings. And I think a lot of times they're just thinking of revenue and ratings all the time. Um, and that's where I think I just want to push more of like the traditional side of it. Like, I think it is important to have a balance, but I think sometimes they think about that side of things too much and they lose sight of America's pastime and the tradition and why people stick around and why it's been popular for so long. So I understand where he's coming from to keep it updated, but I think he's been too overly aggressive from the minute he came in. Um, and there's no really proof that it's helped the game at all, I feel like. Yeah, that last point you made is spot on. Like with these rule changes, you have to have at least five, six, seven years uh, to determine if they're actually working. You can't work with such a small sample case. You have to, you can't make an analysis or come to a conclusion based upon one season. And I've heard people say, oh, you know, through the first month, you know, through April, we've seen games shortened by five, you know, minutes. It's working. I'm like, no, it's not. It's it's not working. Um, Sorry, I'm, I'm and this is gone from an interview to a rant. I apologize, but I'm just going to finish it real quick. I know that Rob Manfred wants to, to continue Bud Sillig's legacy. Which is which is great because um, he wants to show that the sport is moving forward and it's always changing and it's always adapting to the current culture. I just don't think uh, pace of play are are the rules. I think they're being a little too aggressive, and it reminds me a lot of these jeans I wore. And I mentioned this in my first podcast. Uh, I think yeah, actually, I think it was number one about pace of play rules. And I talked about my mom; she would patch my jeans when they had a hole in them, and it was different fabric, so it didn't look right. It was just all pieced together. And the problem is when you fill a hole in some jeans, you have to get that fabric from somewhere else. Now you could probably buy it at Michael's, but I don't understand all that crafting stuff. But anyway, this is about to turn into a whole different type of podcast. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so you'll take the fabric and you'll match it with, you know, it doesn't match, but you'll put it with something else and it may look like it's working temporarily. But what happens is you go to fix one thing, but you're harming another part of the game. So in order to, for me, it's, it's, you're taking something away from something that's good to fix a problem that doesn't necessarily need to be fixed right now. So it's just a matter of priorities. And so what really, you know, concerns me as I as I calm down and as I breathe is that money is an issue. It's it's an issue with everything everywhere, you know, so it's it's not a simple issue. It's very complex. And so um you know, it, it it is what it is right now, but I just wanted to mention that commercial. I wanted to get your your thoughts on it because I thought it was interesting. I really liked it because it seems like there's an attempt to merge the the two different types of baseball philosophies together, and I think that's positive. That's what we need to do. It's a solution, not you get mad at this person or call this person names. It's a solution, and that's that's I think what we should drive for. All right, so I, I got that take, got that ran out of the way. Give me your greatest baseball related achievement, and then where you want to be three to five years from now? Yeah, so I would say getting to work for several different major league franchises was something in my career so far that's been just fabulous and great. I've met so many really interesting people and colleagues and connections representing the Giants organization as well, growing up a Giants fan and being able to work for them and being at AT AT&T Park down on the field and 
that was just an incredible opportunity and something I'll never really forget, um, as well as going on the minor league side, you know, as we discussed early on in this podcast, it's so different, but there's just something so special and unique about it. And it's been one of my favorite moments of my career so far is just being in the dugout and like hanging around baseball and, you know, um, you know, at first it's hard to get, be accepted, especially as a woman. Um, but I felt like I was able to win people over with my knowledge and just talking with people. And eventually, you know, sometimes it just takes a while, but you eventually feel accepted by the end of the season. So that was just something that was really cool for me and kind of validated everything I do and everything I write about. You know, at first it's like, I'm just some chick with high heels or (laughs) some chick like sitting there in the press box, but other women, you know, might take like offense to that or whatnot. But for me, it was just, getting to know all of these people who work in these organizations and um, getting to know them, you know, making connections on a personal level as well as a professional level. And it was just cool that by the end, it's, you know, they won me at the end. This is in the AAA season um, for the River Cats, but they were all their last final road trip was in Las Vegas. Um, and it was going to be the last game at Cashman Field there, you know, with the, the Mets uh, AAA in Las Vegas. And I was flattered because they were all coming up to me and saying, oh, are you going to go to Vegas with us? Like, you should come. And I just felt like after the long season that they had finally accepted me, you know. So um, that was just a really cool, I think, moment for me. It was something just small and silly. But I think it um, was just something that made me proud that I, you know, had done a good job that year. And um, I was very proud of myself for all the things that I accomplished. Um, And as far as what the future holds, um, you know, I just hope to keep on improving and keep on moving up within the ranks and um, hopefully working in the front office for a major league organization at some point soon. Um, I feel like I've gained a lot of knowledge even here in the fall league to um, get a position maybe in player development or operations. And, um, you know, the game is still changing. And as far as analytics go and everything, I would like to use my knowledge of the game to help shape a franchise, whatever that position may be. So, yeah, we'll see. But I'm excited for the future. No, I think it's awesome. Uh, you're setting these goals and you're shooting for them and you're doing what you have to do now to to get by or to move forward. Of course, I know you probably want to be covering baseball 100% and not having to split your time with maybe another job. Uh, so I'm in, I'm encouraged by your story. I'm excited for you, proud of you, because let's be honest, we need more women in baseball. We need more women involved with baseball. Uh, yes, this is an interview, but it's also my podcast. So here we go. There was this girl in college. Uh, her name is Ashley, and um, I'm actually going to let her listen to this. Um, so when I first met her, I was straight up intimidated. She knew a lot about sports. Uh, she followed a lot of San Francisco teams, and then she was a Steelers fan as well. And she knew what she was talking about. And at first I was like, ah, you're just trying to impress people or you're just trying to, to show off. And, and I was like, you no, you don't really know what you're talking about. You just like this team's colors. You know, all this, all the, the typical things that a, a male might think of a woman who is rude for sports. Uh, and that was wrong of me. You know, that was arrogant. And so I was quickly um, put in my place. So as I get to know her more, and we get hanging out and um, that, you know, all the stuff that comes with being a friend, she really surprised me. And I actually decided to tap into her for information of, 
you know, sports and got to talk to her about any type of sport because she loved it. And, and that was just cool. And that was very humbling for me. Uh, but there has to be a, a change in the wind as far as how women are perceived. Uh, and we're going to keep it specific in baseball. And I think, you know, baseball is such an intricate sport. It's like chess and checkers put together uh, on top of a Chinese checkerboard. You just, you don't know what to expect sometimes. And so through that experience, I really learned that, you know, there's value to women in this sport. And so I was humbled. Uh, Ashley, I appreciate you being friends with me. And I hope that we're still friends after you listen to this. Um, So anyway, I appreciate your time, Bridget. I want you to go ahead and just tell us about where uh, the listeners can follow you, uh, you know, more about your website, your blog, and just, um, you know, plug away. It's all yours. And then we'll end the show on that. Cool. Yeah. So if you want to follow me and read more of my articles this off season, you can follow me on cheaplittleswing.wordpress.com, which is my actual blog. And then I have all my social media links on there, but I will also give you my social media. So I have a Facebook page. Um, You can just search Cheap Little Swing. I post some just other content on there um, as well as my articles on Facebook. So go ahead and give me a like over there. And then I'm also on Twitter and it's um, at Bridget, my first name, B-R-I-D-G-E-T. M. Mulcahy, M-U-L-C-A-H-Y. That's my full name. And yeah, so I'm over on Twitter. That's where I put all of my Arizona Fall League coverage. I'll be tweeting about the game tonight, um, which should be super fun. Forrest Whitley is starting, so that should be a good one. And yeah, so you can follow me on there. And then during the minor league season, um, our River Cats Twitter um, is also a great one where I post all of my pregame shows and stuff, and that's going to be R underscore Cat Tales. So it's kind of a play on words, River Cat Tales, T-A-L-E-S. But yeah, you can find me over on there as well. So yeah, thank you so much um, for having me on today. And it's been really fun chatting with you about baseball and life and everything else. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. No problem at all. Thanks for coming on. Um, hopefully we get to talk again sometime when you're big and famous uh, and you can get me some free stuff. So I appreciate your time again and we'll see you guys next week. Later. Later.